Hey everybody, this is Michelle Leffler from Living Moon Meditation, and you're listening to Jewish Magic Podcast, the show that blends ancient earth-based practices, Kabbalah, medieval rituals, amulets, and more for people who love magic, witchcraft, and Judaism. Do you love listening to this podcast? I'd love to have you give me a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to help me keep the lights on, I'd appreciate a donation. You can do that at livingmoonmeditation.com slash podcast. Most witches try to create their own Haggadah by putting bits from various Haggadot together. But those who succeed are spending hours of their valuable time to create something that is only passable. What if you could have the one Haggadah to rule them all? If you're like most witchy Jews, then you're probably settling for a less than stellar Seder that meets your unique views or spending hours chopping bits from various sources to supplement a traditional Haggadah. That's definitely one way of doing it. It gives you some of what you want. But there's one huge looming problem. It takes a monstrous amount of time and you likely still end up settling for a version of the Haggadah that doesn't quite meet your needs. You know what I'm talking about, right? You have to hunt down fragments here and morsels there to satisfy your spiritual needs. It takes time to find good explanations for the plagues. Let's not talk about the forgotten women of the story. Symbols that talk about modern issues? After all, we're commanded to imagine ourselves as having been there. And if you're looking for gender-inclusive language, you might just feel like hanging in the towel. Let's face it, getting the Haggadah you want takes massive amounts of time, effort, and quite possibly money. Introducing a Haggadah for Witches This Haggadah gives you all the earth-based modern Judaism that you want mixed in with the traditional Haggadah you're used to. And try pairing it with my new Omer Guide for Witches. If you're looking for a meaningful and witchy way to count the Omer, then this is for you. You can grab one or both of these guides from me. I have the links in the show notes for you. I wanted to let you know that this is going to be the last episode of Jewish Magic Podcast, at least for a while. This has been a difficult decision for me, but one that has become necessary. Over the past few weeks, there have been some shifts and changes in my personal life and some of the things in my business need to shift as well. I want to say that I'm not stopping making Jewish content. I just want to get back to the roots of where I started with my witchy Jewish content. So I'm going to be blogging more about... Judaism and Jewish magic, as well as everything else I blog about. And I am going to, in the near future, be putting out more courses and Jewish magic guides for you. Um, So my content around this topic is not going away. It just won't be in the form of a podcast, at least not for a while. I will say that Jewish magic was my first endeavor 
into podcasting and I absolutely love this format for getting content out to you all. But while I love it personally, I can't continue doing every single thing that I've been doing. My personal life just isn't going to allow that. So unfortunately, this platform has got to end, at least for now. And I keep saying at least for now, because I may come back to it again at some point in the future. And I want to leave that avenue open. And I feel like if I say that I'm retiring the podcast, that this is the final episode, period, the end, that if things change again, then that doesn't leave the avenue open to come back. And I want to leave that avenue open because I do love this podcast and I do hope to be able to come back to it at some time in the future. I just don't know when that will be or if it will happen. So please keep in mind that I love, love this podcast and I love what I do here. And again, I am not ending my work with Jewish magic and sharing content that I create around that. It will just be in a different format. I started off with creating blogs about this topic. So I will continue to be blogging about that over on my website, livingmoonmeditation.com. And I will also, the other podcast that I have, Get Unstuck with Michelle Leffler, I will have some Jewish-themed content on there because I talk about a lot of different topics on that podcast. So there will be some occasional Jewish-themed episodes on that podcast, so give it a listen. But also, if you are not on my email list, make sure you sign up for that. You can do that directly on my website. Again, that is livingmoonmeditation.com. And when you sign up for my newsletter there on my website, you can choose the specific topics that you want to hear about. And Judaism and Jewish magic is one of the topics listed. So you can choose that and any other topic that I have on there that you want to hear about. Um, So make sure if you're not receiving my newsletters that you sign up for that because that's the best way to stay updated on what's going on in my world as far as Judaism, Jewish magic, and everything else that I do as well. And also that will be where I announce first if I do have the ability and capacity to come back to this podcast. That is where I will announce that first. So you definitely want to be on there. But I don't want to leave you with nothing content-wise this week. So I am going to re-air a previous podcast episode. This is one of my favorite. It is one that I enjoyed writing, researching, and sharing. It is about the Ein Hara or the Evil Eye. So without further ado, let me play that for you. What is the evil eye? Basically, it's the belief or idea that an individual or supernatural being can bewitch or cause harm to someone through an evil glance. If you're thinking envious feelings and greed, you're on the right track, although it can be more involved than that. A person can transmit the evil eye without knowing it if a supernatural spirit is attached to them. Basically, the evil eye is the harmful, negative energy 
that is created when you look at something with envy or ill feeling. In Hebrew, the evil eye is called Ein Hara. Those of us who cling to what others call superstitious ways carry our amulets, but the Ein Hara is rooted in rabbinic tradition and mentioned more than a few times in the Talmud, so we're not exactly the crazies that a lot of people would want to think that we are. Rabbinic tradition says that Sarah cast an evil eye on Hagar while the latter was pregnant prior to Ishmael, and that this pregnancy resulted in miscarriage as a result. The Talmud states that Leah's fertility was adversely impacted when she became subject to the power of the evil eye for thanking God for allowing her to bear more than a quarter of Jacob's sons. Boasting much? Perhaps. The Talmud urges that the Tashlik ritual at Rosh Hashanah be performed in a body of water that contains fish because fish are incapable of being affected by the evil eye. And the Talmud also states, it is prohibited for a person to stand in another's field and look at his crop while the grain is standing because he casts an evil eye upon it and thereby causes him damage and the same is true for a garden. It is also customary not to call two brothers or a father and son up to the Torah consecutively because of the Ein Hara that may come from drawing too much attention to a single family. So again, the Talmud and rabbinic tradition has a long list of mentions or alludings to the evil eye. So while some people consider it to be a silly superstition, those who do believe in it do so with real evidence backing it up in religious teaching. So it's not something that was just made up for the sake of making up or having a superstition. So what can you do to combat the evil eye? The Talmud actually gives us a spell or a ritual for warding off the evil eye. It says that a person who enters a city and fears the Ein Hara should hold the thumb of his right hand in his left and the thumb of his left hand in his right hand and recite the following. I, so-and-so, son of so-and-so, come from the descendants of Joseph over whom the evil eye has no dominion. So we see from that that, that Joseph's descendants are not supposedly affected by the evil eye. And so that um, chant or spell coupled with holding your thumb in the opposite hand at the same time would combat or ward off the evil eye. Wearing a red string on your left wrist is perhaps the most well-known way to ward off the evil eye. Now, ironically, the red string bracelet isn't a practice that's deeply rooted in religious texts and has actually been documented in many different cultures and countries like China and Greece. The talisman's main purpose is to protect the wearer from evil spirits it has been popularized by celebrity Kabbalah devotees like Madonna. Now, you've probably heard of spitting on the evil eye or seen or heard or been around maybe your um, grandmother or an older relative poo-poo-pooing 
Um, this is another way to ward off the Einhara. This is done when a person hears something really bad, but it can also be done when you hear something really good. And the poo-poo-poo is basically spitting on the evil eye to ward it away. And some people just do the spitting motion or movement without actually spitting. Some really do spit. But others do it with also while also saying the phrase, kind ein hara, which means no evil eye. And some people combine those three words and simply say kainahora to halt an evil eye. So, Cain Ein Hara and spitting on the evil eye are another way of warding off the evil eye. Now, it's customary in Jewish tradition not to have baby showers. It's not a rule. There's no law against it. But a lot of people don't have baby showers. And the reason is that so much attention on the unborn baby can lead to a terrible outcome for either the baby or the mother. So it's not like baby showers don't ever happen in Jewish families, but they're much less rare than in other um, traditions. The evil eye, or warding it off, is also the reason behind eating fish on Shabbat and Rosh Hashanah. This is the same reason that um, the Tashlik ritual is said to be better held in a body of water with fish. Fish are impervious to the evil eye because they are the only animals to survive Noah's flood. Now, these are just a few ways to ward off Ein Hara. There are many others, and if you check out the sources in the show notes, you can read about um, many, many other ways to um, ward against the evil eye. But what I really want to talk about is the Hamsa. This is a hand-shaped charm with an eye in the center. And next to the red string, it's one of the most recognizable Jewish amulets. The Hamsa's origins are not exclusive to Judaism. It does have roots in Christianity and Islam as well. Some Jewish Hamsas have images of fish and the Star of David, two icons that also serve as protection against the evil eye. And the fish, again, is a symbol of protection because they are seen as being exempt to the evil eye. Again, referring to fish surviving the flood and also because the water that the fish live in covers them from view of the evil eye. And since the evil eye can't see the fish, then they are exempt from the effects of the evil eye. Now, most homses, no matter the tradition, have an eye in the center of the palm. And that would be a representation of the evil eye. Sometimes the eye looks like a normal eye, and other times it's a blue and white stylized eye. These stylized eyes are often used as evil eye amulets by themselves, but the eye in any form often factors into the palm-shaped hamsa. Now, the hamsa is sometimes rendered naturally and other times symmetrically, with the second thumb replacing the little finger. And the name Hamsa comes from Arabic, uh, the word Hamsa meaning five, and the number five itself is identified with fighting the evil eye. The Hamsa is used as an amulet, carried or worn on jewelry. They are sometimes hung in homes or businesses. They can be seen dangling from rearview mirrors. They are decorative motifs for mezuzot and ketubot marriage contracts. 
the Hamsa features prominently on the Ketuvah that I designed for my wedding. And I personally think that it's a very pretty Ketuvah, but you know, it's mine and I designed it. So yeah, there you go. They also feature on keychains and candlesticks and in Judaica themed artwork. And the Hamsa is a traditional motif within the Sephardic Kenna ceremony for brides. To learn more about the Ein Hara in general and Hamsa specifically, be sure to check out the sources in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Jewish Magic. Want more Jewish Magic? Be sure to sign up for my email list. The link for that, sources for today's episode, and anything else related to our topic can be found in the show notes. It's truly been my pleasure to talk to you today. If you liked this episode or you think it will be useful for someone else, please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcast app. 